Ozark Highlands Radio is brought to you by the Ozark Folk Center State Park in Mountain View, Arkansas, a wonderful way to enjoy yesterday. On the web at OzarkFolkCenter.com. <laughs> Greetings, folks. This is Dave Smith, host of Ozark Highlands Radio. Welcome to our show. This week, we'll travel back in time to hear California musician Meredith Axelrod and multi-instrumentalist Craig Ventresco play the music that you would have heard on Great Grandpa's Victrola back in the early 20th century. Down in the vault, my buddy Mark Jones has found an archival recording of Ozark fiddler Euless Pilcher. And writer, professor, and historian Dr. Brooks Blevins explores one of America's first nationally broadcast country music television shows based in Springfield, Missouri, the Ozark Jubilee. All that this week on Ozark Highlands Radio. Delightfully engaging and unassumingly comic, Meredith Axelrod envisions the limitless potential of early 20th century music. Her vocal style is unusual, probably because she learned to sing by listening to how folks did it a century ago, through the medium of cylinders and 78 RPM records. She often partners with string virtuoso Craig Ventresco. They perform at venues and festivals around the country, and we were delighted to have a visit from them last summer. Here are a few of the tunes they brought us.
I know that when I was really young, I just was obsessed with phonographs that had horns. And when I was a little kid, I just somehow heard this record of the very first, it was like an LP of the very first Caruso records. And as much as I loved his voice, what really was interesting to me was the spoken announcement at the beginning where the guy in Italian would announce each record and the name of the selection. And then I think I heard a Vess Ostman record from about 1903 somehow. And the same thing where the guy came on and said, you know, Creole Bells played by Mr. Vessel Ostman. As much as I loved the music, I think what I really loved was that announcement and just like something about, you know, now when I look back, I realize what it was, was that the, those were kind of crude records, but they were really intimate. You know, it's like you were there with those people. It was a guy announcing, a guy playing piano and somebody playing an instrument, but it was just very... Uh, there was no editing, it was real music, you know? I'll tell you something funny. NPR, when I was like a little kid, my dad used to listen to NPR and there was a radio show that Terry Waldo, who I since played music with, like, but he had a radio show called This Is Ragtime that I heard when I was maybe a little kid. And that's when I first heard Billy Murray, but the, 
the the thing is, but he he played three records to show why ragtime was bad, and that and the Murray record was one of them. He played Billy Murray and the American Quartet singing the Skeleton Rag, and like my head exploded. I thought it was the greatest thing I ever heard. But the weird part was he was playing as as an example of <laughs> what was so, as the worst aspect of <laughs> ragtime, but he didn't even say who it was. And he just played like 40 seconds of it. And I spent years and years looking for the voices on that 40 seconds of music. And it was just like dumb luck that I want to, you know, happened to find a 78 where I heard that lead voice on that record. And you, you could tell it immediately, but th that. Because it's so distinctive. Where's the boy whom 
But things have changed with the internet. Like when I was a little kid and I wanted to hear cylinders because I really wanted to hear every cylinder ever made. And I was so frustrated because how the hell are you going to do that? And then I happened to live in the same town with a guy who actually had like the world's best cylinder collection. So when I was a kid, I could go over there and he was super nice and I taped cylinders. I still have the cassettes. And I go to crazy people's houses just to tape records. Like, I was uncomfortable with some of the people I had to meet. The thing with the internet that's great is you can hear all that stuff without having to go to the weirdos basements. But in a way, it's cool that I did go to the weirdos basements because, like, to me, 78 saved my life, I think. Like, I've collected them since I was a little kid. And when I hear those records, those voices are like my friends. And I love them so much, you know, like I don't ever look at them as a burden. <clears throat> I don't want <clears throat> 10,000 records because I want every record I have to be a gem. Special. Something I pull out where I'm like, oh, I'm so excited to hear this.
the time-traveling Meredith Axelrod and Craig Ventresco, recorded on our stage at the Ozark Folk Center State Park in Mountain View, Arkansas. We heard, I'm looking over a four-leaf clover, my Hindu man, crying for the Carolines, and the original rag. After this break, come with me down to the vault for a visit with the ever-fascinating Mr. Mark Jones. You're listening to Ozark Highlands Radio. Welcome back to Ozark Highlands Radio. I always like to go down to the vault this time of the week and visit with Mark Jones, uh, who keeps track of all of our music we've collected over the years. Come on with me down. Hello, Mark. Howdy, Dave. How are you? Well, I'm doing pretty good, and it's good to see you down here. It's good to see you. You know, i got a question for you. I've been this week to our uh, off-season square dance workshops that we have here at the Ozark Folk Center, kind of boning up on my square dancing. And I was thinking about years ago, back in the 70s, when I was learning to square dance here at the Folk Center, and about one of the old fiddlers who used to play here a lot. And I remember him as just being a great dance fiddler, and that was Euless Pilcher. You remember Euless? Euless was really a good fiddler for all the dances and all the action that went on around here. He just played with a kind of a drive that made you want to dance, and I'm so club-footed, it ain't even <laughs> funny, but I still would have loved to have danced. You know, because it was Euless playing. That's right. Um, of course, he was an old-timer back then, back in 76, I'm sure he's long, long gone now. Now look at us. We're the old timers. What happened? I don't know. <laughs> well, have you got any of Ulysses stuff down here? I do, Dave. Uh, him and Irvin Freeze and a couple of the guys are gathered up up at the front mics, and they're doing uh, Sally Gooden. Oh, boy, let's hear it. Thank you. 
was Eulis, all right. I recognized that kind of fiddling style anywhere. He sure could do it. He had a real unique kind of a just driving sound to his playing, and uh, he was really a good dance fiddler. And what I liked about those old-time fiddlers is they, they really kept it simple. They stayed with the tune. They didn't add a lot of ornament, ornamentation, and that's the way I like to hear those old fiddle tunes. That's true. I agree with you. Just a lot of excitement. Yep. Well, look, thanks a lot, Mark. It was great to hear Euless Pilcher again. Thank you, Dave. Come again, will you? I'll do it. All right. This week's featured musician, Meredith Axelrod, specializes in early 20th century music, whether it be ragtime, music hall, pop standard, boogie woogie, tin pan alley, string band, jazz, country, blues, or even jug band music. And she embodies the spirit that brought that music into existence. Here are four more classics from Meredith and her musical partner, Craig Ventresco. I just feel like telling the world I'm happy and gay. I just feel like telling you why I'm feeling this way. This is just the time of the year when bees start to buzz. When the bees make honey back in sunny Alabama That's the time that I'll be sending a telegram Down to the honeysuckle home Where my folks live all alone They're like a pair of honeybees in the honeycomb I'm gonna make a beeline straight for home, that's what I am. And I plan to be buzzing around with my honey lamb. And on some sunny afternoon, if I don't get stung, there'll be a honeymoon when the bees make honey down in sunny OU Alabama. I will be the busiest bee that you ever knew. Making honey all through the day, that's just what I'll do. When the bees start buzzing around some sweet rosemary, how I'm gonna bundle around, just take it from me. When the bees make honey down in sunny Alabama, that's the time that I'll be sending a telegram. Straight for home, that's what I am. And I plan to get buzzing round with my honey lamb. And on some sunny afternoon, if I don't get stung, will be a honeymoon. When bees make honey down in sunny OU I'm a 
that's what I am. And I plan to get buzzing round my honeyland. Then on some sunny afternoon, if I don't get stung, there'll be a honeymoon when the bees make honey. And down in sunny OU Just, just reminded me the only performer in modern times I can think of who tried to imitate those voices on those old records was actually Tiny Tim of yeah. all people. Like he was so enamored of all those people and he really tried to sing like Byron Harlan and you know all, it, was, it was funny and you know say what you want about that guy he, he really did care like he genuinely cared about those old records but he never really succeeded at actually imitating now and the sad thing was people just saw him as a novelty yeah he was a lot more than that he was a crazy dude though i think (laughs) well when he would sing in that falsetto well he you see he was capable of great singing he really was he just uh he didn't sing he didn't he was just very sloppy with his pitch that's my that's my biggest beef with um, with Tim, his yeah. baritone. Well, he had some crappy <laughs> bands he worked with and stuff too, though. But his his baritone, his natural baritone, reminded me of Cliff Edwards a little bit. You know, he he had a, a really beautiful, just natural baritone voice. And all his life, I think he was trying to get a gimmick so he could make it mm-hmm. big. A oh, weird story, fascinating guy. Darling, I just can't get over hearing you declare.
would smile at me I must be liberty with your voice like because here's why because there's no such thing as your voice you have to hold your musculature in a position in order to phonate millimeters tenth of millimeter tenths of millimeters dif difference in where you're holding your anatomy is going to change your voice there's no such thing as your voice because because, because in order to engage your vocal folds, you have to hold your anatomy somewhere. You have to, you're, you're not just relaxing your anatomy, you don't have a default voice. You have to hold it somewhere, in some position. Is it here, 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 is it here? And those, <laughs> is it here? For is you people here? on radio, she's holding her hands in different <laughs> positions right now. Well, which is why people can do impersonations, I guess, right? Of course and why they can sound completely natural at it. Now, there is, however, a big distinction, or like a big distinction between what sounds natural and what doesn't. And um, a very, that is very um, murky and mysterious to me, though I can hear that sounds natural and that doesn't.
even the coolest thing about that is that the singers themselves announced themselves in the third person. I remember realizing that's the singer announcing himself. And yeah, sometimes it's they so did cool. That. You get to hear them speak. Yeah. And the singers, a lot, to, it, like the, the pop singers back then, like S.H. Dudley and Dan W. Quinn and the people who would be called like the pioneer recording artists, they really did sing in, in beautiful, like they were their own voices. But those records were really hard to find. It took me years and years to even know what to look for. But I always looked for 78s, like in people's garages and stuff. And then one day, I think, I heard a Billy Murray 78. And I realized, like, oh, that's the guy. Like, that's the type of voice I like. That was the epiphany. And then I found Jim Walsh's Hobbies articles, where he wrote for 40 years for Hobbies every month about different pioneer recording artists who made records at the turn of the century. And that's who I really learned from, was him and those articles. And that introduced me to tons of record collectors. And Some more good old songs from Meredith Axelrod and Craig Ventresco. They started that set with When the Bees Make Honey, followed by I Must Be Dreaming, Sadness Will Be Gladness, and we faded out with Flying Arrow. It's time for another break. We'll be back in a minute or two. This is Ozark Highlands Radio. Welcome back to Ozark Highlands Radio. Author and historian Dr. Brooks Blevins, who now teaches at Southwest Missouri State University, has been exploring early music shows of the Ozarks, including early television shows. Regal Pale, one of America's two great beers, and the high-flying, fun-loving Regal Bird bring you now Ozark Jubilee. Unless you've lived many moons past the half-century mark, you won't remember it. But there was a time when nationally broadcast television shows originated right here in the Ozarks. Let's go back in the hills to remember one of the shining jewels of our musical crown, the Ozark Jubilee. The new technology of television first came to Springfield, Missouri, the Ozark region's largest town, in 1953, and it didn't take local entrepreneurs long to hatch major dreams. 
For years, Ralph Foster's Springfield radio station, KWTO, the call letters stood for Keep Watching the Ozarks, had produced many local music programs, gathering a stable of talented musicians, singers, and behind-the-scenes personnel in the process. For a few years in the 1940s, the station had even produced its own Saturday night barn dance show. Called Corns a Kraken, it was broadcast across the nation on the ABC radio network. That show's executive producer was Springfield native Cy Simon, and when TV came along, Simon, Foster, and a couple of local backers founded Crossroads Productions to develop programming, and it was hoped challenged Nashville as the crossroads of country music. One of their earliest efforts was a TV show called Ozark Jubilee, which first aired locally on Springfield's KYTV on the night after Christmas in 1953. But Simon and Foster had their sights set on the big time. Simon went to Nashville and pitched his vision to one of the country music world's heavyweights, Red Foley. Born in 1910 in Blue Lick, Kentucky, Foley had gotten his start almost a quarter of a century earlier on Chicago's popular National Barn Dance radio program. He later came back home to help start a stage and radio show known as the Renfro Valley Barn Dance. Equally adept at performing country, boogie-woogie, and gospel, Foley also possessed an easygoing, friendly personality that came across on radio. The producers of the nationally broadcast segment of the Grand Ole Opry noticed and tapped him to be the show's MC and headliner in 1946, a role that helped Foley achieve a string of top country hits and launched him to superstardom. But Mr. Country Music's personal problems cost him his job on the Opry in 1953. Still, Cy Simon knew his plan for making Springfield the crossroads of country music depended on star power, and he convinced Foley that a fresh start was just the thing he needed. With Red Foley's name attached to the project, Simon and his associates traveled to New York and sold ABC television executives on the idea of a music variety show broadcast across the nation each week from the Jewel Theater in Springfield. It sounds far-fetched to modern ears, but this was, after all, the early days of TV. It wasn't just a New York-LA thing yet. This rejiggered version of the Ozark Jubilee, with Red Foley at the helm and the Jewel Theater, hit the airwaves as a radio show in July 1954, and went nationwide on the ABC radio network two weeks later, on the first day of August. The TV version began airing locally on KYTV a month later, with plans to go nationwide on ABC in early 1955. The production hit a bit of a snag, however, when it was discovered that a new kind of telephone wire would have to be installed in Springfield in order to pipe the Jubilee up to Chicago and from there across the country. The Queen City of the Ozarks didn't have the technological infrastructure needed for crossroad status just yet. So when the date of the first national broadcast on ABC TV rolled around, January 22, 1955, the Ozark Jubilee came into living rooms not from the Ozarks, but from station KOMU on the campus of the University of Missouri in Columbia. In fact, the first 13 episodes of the Jubilee were broadcast from Columbia before everything was up to snuff at the Jewel. The Ozark Jubilee wasn't the first country music show broadcast over a national television network but it was the first to achieve sustained success over a long period of time, almost six years, and it was the first to feature the industry's biggest names. Most weeks highlighted at least one guest star, 
And that list is a who's who of country and western stardom in the 50s. Gene Autry, Tex Ritter, Bob Wills and the Texas Playboys, Roy Acuff, Hank Thompson, Eddie Arnold, Jim Reeves, Webb Pierce, Johnny Cash. Three of the Jubilee's regular performers used the show as a launching pad to country superstardom. Alabama native Sonny James, homegrown Ozarker Porter Wagner, and pint-sized Georgia sensation Brenda Lee. The fact that Wagner and Lee both left Springfield for Nashville in 1957 was a clear indication that Middle Tennessee would remain the epicenter of country music. But Springfield's showbiz days weren't over yet, and there's plenty more to say about the Ozark Jubilee. For now, we'll play our way off stage with the help of Red Foley in the opening moments of the very first episode of Ozark Jubilee, actually broadcast from the Ozarks on the last day of April in 1955. The Jewel Theater in Springfield, Missouri. It's time for the Ozark Jubilee, starring America's favorite country gentleman, Red Foley! Thank you so much, folks. Bless you. Bless you. <laughs> well, so we got a wonderful crowd here tonight, and this is the big night I want you to know for all of us connected here with the Ozark Jubilee. We know we've moved our permanent home here to Springfield, and boy, we're having a big time here at the Jewel Theater. We're so grateful to the many, many people who have made this possible for us. And to all of you folks who are here in person tonight to say welcome home. Well, we're going to trot out a little song here now. Boys, the salted down something like the salty dog rag. Well, the way down yonder in the state of Arkansas, where my great-grandpa met my great-grandpa. They drink apple cider and they get on a jack. They all dance, dance to the salted dog rag. One foot front, drag it back. If your partner sings, you're supposed to sing. Your heart is light, you tap your feet in rhythm with that ragtime beat. Pack up your troubles in your old kit bag and dance all night to the salty dog rag. Thanks, Brooks. The dominant theme throughout Meredith Axelrod's expansive repertoire is that, whatever the genre, these are songs she learns from the original sources which were released between the 1890s and the 1930s. Part of the allure of old-time music is hearing the original recordings as played and sung by the original performers in their heyday, loving what they're doing and doing it because it means something to them in that moment. That's how Meredith and Craig Ventresco capture that pure old-time sound.
It's it's more abstract than you'd think. I mean, we just kind of like hear the song a bunch. We kind of know the song. This is unless we learn it off sheet music, which we may. Uh, or or because someone complained like, there's a beautiful, Scott Joplin wrote it this way and you're totally screwing that up. Or you totally missed, you totally missed the beauty of that rag because the bass line's supposed to go bum bum. They'd be like, I I was listening for that and you failed. Then... You failed me, Meredith. I'm disappointed. Actually, only one person did that. And, and, and he did it all the time. And Mr. Happy there. That was he. Who? And Mr. Happy. We, <laughs> <laughs> some guy who's a real... Some guy who's a stickler for the... Uh, all the notes. He would in come the out and critique. Yeah. <laughs> really? He'd come out to the gigs? Yeah, but yeah that, Mr. That, Happy. That, well, I guess I should uh, come clean on this. Mr. Happy's actually here tonight. Oh, good, good. <laughs> good. Oh, I what? hope he sits in front. I hope he we sits flew in him in. <laughs> that would be so great.
you, music lovers. A couple more good old tunes from Meredith Axelrod and Craig Ventresco, The Cold Morning Shout and The Twelfth Street Rag. That's about all we've got time for this week. We'll be back next week with more good music from the Ozark Mountains. For Jeff and Darren and the rest of us here at Ozark Highlands Radio, this is Dave Smith. See you next week. Ozark Highlands Radio is produced by Jeff Glover. Executive producer is Darren Dorton. Additional support for this program comes from the Committee of 100, proudly supporting the Ozark Folk Center State Park since 1974. Arkansas State Parks, with 52 unique reasons to visit the natural state. On the web at ArkansasStateParks.com and by Stone Bank with roots in Mountain View, Arkansas. Stone Bank is a proud supporter of heritage musicians and small towns across America with government-guaranteed loans for farmers, entrepreneurs, and communities. More information available at StoneBank.com. For information on upcoming shows and events, we are on the web at OzarkHighlandsRadio.com. Until next time, I'm Donna Farrar.